Welcome to the Trinity Radio Podcast. This podcast has a video component found at youtube.com slash Braxton Hunter. This means you might miss some visual aspects of the show, but it shouldn't have a serious negative effect. We'd love it if you'd run over to the YouTube channel real quick and subscribe. And if you enjoy this content, do us a favor. Take a moment to give us a five-star review on iTunes and mention a couple of things you like about the podcast. If you really appreciate the show, you can help make it better and get extra content for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash trinity radio. Enjoy the show. I'll tell you what, here's what I'll do. I will describe what I understand the differences between substance dualism and physicalism to be, and and then say that I am a physicalist, and then I'll let you explain the identity problem, and then I'll explain why I think that perhaps this analogy might address some of that challenge. Does that sound fine to you? And then we'll wrap yeah, up? Yeah. It's your show, man, whatever you want to do. Okay, so... Um, so for the viewers that aren't aware, um, tr Christians throughout Christian history have almost, I would say almost exclusively, with, with very few dissidents, um, have, have believed in what's called anthropological substance dualism, that which is the view that human beings have two substances, to use the philosophical jargon. Substance in phil philosophical uh, jargon isn't like wood versus uh, plaster or something like that. It's it's like a concrete uh, uh, entity of, of a particular type. And in the case of human beings, substance dualism entails uh, uh, that human beings have both a material body and all of the parts that make it up, the, the neurons in the brain and the hands and the arms and everything and then also an immaterial soul or spirit most dualists i think are dichotomists they think that that immaterial soul is also what the bible calls a spirit but of course there are trichotomists as well who would say that the soul and spirit are distinguishable from one another but it would still form a dualism because they're both this immaterial part of man whereas the material part is the body now that substance dualism, and, and just to flesh it out just a little bit more, that immaterial soul has classically been understood to be simple in the way that the divine being is supposedly simple. Namely, there's no parts. It's pure act. It's pure consciousness. The, what, what the soul is, is consciousness, something along those lines. And, um, and it is uh, yeah, so, so and, and, and it is capable, of, according to most dualists, of quote unquote surviving death in the sense that it continues to experience and be conscious even beyond the death of the body and then it's reunited with the body when it is raised in resurrection. A physicalist like me, a Christian physicalist, which is almost synonymous with non-reductive physicalists, I'm not aware of any reductive physicalists who are Christians, but we physicalists believe that no, there aren't these two substances that make up a human being, but rather um, there's one substance and that substance is physical. It's the body, it's everything, all parts of the body, including the brain and all the neurons that make it up. And, the, and, and what we call the mind, um, which is all of the various things that philosophers call qualia, right? Experience and thought and feeling and all these things. All of those things are part, are, are, comprise a mind that is something like a property of, an emergent property of the firing neurons in the brain. And as such, when the brain dies in death and ceases to function and those neurons cease to fire, a person is no longer conscious of anything because there is no mind that emerges from the brain. 
So I'm a physicalist, although I hold to that fairly tentatively compared to most other doctrines I hold to. Um, it is what I think I see the Bible teaching, but very weakly compared to what I think it teaches on other topics. Now, you have a number of problems, I'm not at all going to suggest that they're reducible to just one, with uh, the kind of physicalism that I and a few other Christians embrace. But the one I want to talk about here, because I think there may be application from of this story analogy, is the identity problem to substance or to physicalism. So maybe you can unpack that objection, that challenge, and then I'll um, explain why I think the analogy might go a certain degree to, to answer it. So I did hear what you had to say on the last video, and I liked it, um, but I do still have problems with it. Um, and and uh, so the problem of the continuity of identity is is basically like this. So if you're just a physical body and there is no other substance, the immaterial soul, you run into a problem with what's known as the, the ship of Theseus problem, where basically Theseus comes back from a major, uh, uh, you know, he's, he's a hero, he's done all this amazing stuff. It's actually um, interesting, if you read Plutarch, you get the thing that served as the basis for the Hunger Games, but anyway, or at least kind of. Um, but Theseus comes back and they decide they're gonna um, keep his ship in harbor as a memorial to his conquest or whatever, or his adventures. And so, um, uh, but of course it begins to rot over time. So they replace pieces of the ship and given enough time, every single bit of the ship is replaced. And then, so you have the question, is that still Theseus's ship, right? Just like, um, the proverbial, uh, ax that, that was used to chop down the cherry tree. Well, this is the ax that, uh, Washington used to chop down the cherry tree. Now the head's been changed five times and the handle's been changed 16 times, but that's the ax that was used, right? Well, the problem is for people like me, I don't see how that's Theseus's ship and I don't see how that's um, Washington's axe. So what um, if you're just a physical body and you outlined this in the last show, well, every however many years, uh, seven to 10 years, the cells in your body cycle out. Um, even if some of your neurons don't cycle out, you actually talked about how you, you change uh, psychological perspectives and things like that, such that you are not the same physical entity than you, that you were 10 years ago. You're just not. And so then what is it to say you? What is the continuity of identity that is you? And go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, I, I was just going to say, and usually, or, or where I think this challenge really gains some some purchase, some teeth, where it develops some teeth, is when it comes to the resurrection. So maybe unpack yeah. that for us as well. Yeah, so so uh, real quick, and I'm trying to be quick, but some people have tried to solve the problem of continuity of identity with certain ways, like your memories or things like that. But those all have problems, I think. Um, so, but for Christians like us talking about the continuity of identity, I see the physicalist as running into a real problem because when you die and your body decays and, and it turns to ash, um, to dust it goes back and all those kind of things, and God resurrects you, um, when he resurrects you, he is recreating your body. The resurrection is a recreation of a physical body that is identical to the one you had at some point during your life. Um, or at least is the same DNA, I don't know, something like that, right? And so, so, so then we call that you, and all the memories are there, and everything is there. But if there was no continuation of your identity throughout that period of time, from death and decay to the recreation that we're calling a resurrection, then I fail to see, and I'll even go so far as to say, my strong opinion now is that it is impossible, that that is still you, um, that that is meaningfully not a copy of you. Because for that matter, if God wanted to do that right now, 
he could do the same thing. He could he could re reproduce every bit of your physical body with all the memories and all the scars and everything right now, and there'd be two of you. Right. And then we'd say, well, which one is you? Well, I'm me. And the other one would say, well, I'm him too. So, so you run into this real problem. And so, uh, uh, real quick, Joel B. Green, who I think is your former president at, at Fuller, right? Is Joel B. I don't Green. know if he was president, but he, he is, okay. or at least was a professor there, yeah. Okay. And, and he wrote a book on this, and it was recommended to me that it would address the problems that I had. And it was a great book, really well written. But he said somewhere toward the beginning of that book that he was going to deal with the problem of the continuity of identity. And, and he, he, really did, <laughs> he did toward the end of the book, like when there was a few pages left, if I remember correctly. And basically, he said something that I think is akin to what you said, although not using the story analogy. So if you want to talk about the story analogy, I can. Um, well, let me t tell you what he he basically, if I remember correctly, said something like whatever it is that is you, God will hold on to. And then when he recreates you, that'll be a part of it. But for my money, he's just describing the soul. That's, that, that is to say, the thing that's you that really is your identity, he's going to hold on to and put it back. Well, that's just the soul. That's, that's all I can make out of that. Yeah, no, and, and and I remember I actually interviewed him on my other, uh, on The Apologetics back when it was just an audio podcast, and I remember asking him this question, and I remember I upset him somehow, because when he tried to explain his answer to the challenge, I said, okay, so it's kind of like what happens when Marty McFly goes 88 miles or, you know, whatever per hour in the in the um, DeLorean, and then appears suddenly in the future, right? Um, there's a great period of time that transpires, but but Marty McFly himself instantaneously vanishes from one point in the timeline and reappears in the other. Um, and, and if it were time travel like that, you could still say it's the same person, right? I'm sure you'd have no problem with saying that the Marty McFly who arrives in the future is the Marty McFly who left the past. But, but I remember when yeah. I asked, huh? I think, I think that would avoid the problem. Yes, and and that's not my answer, my solution okay. to the problem, and 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 I although I maybe it could be developed into one, but I just remember when I when I proposed that that as a sort of summary for what he had just explained, he seemed genuinely upset. You'll have to go back and listen and tell me what you think, but. I, I frankly I don't know how I've never been able to quite understand how Joel Green um, or for that matter Nancy P, uh, uh, Murphy or, or other physicalists attempt to resolve it and and as Glenn Peoples has explained in his podcast series uh, defending physicalism there are physicalists who have really weird bizarre yes like I like, read them all I read the journal articles they're really bizarre yeah so like I'm sure the, there's one where the, the god like holds on to like one par particle of the body or something yeah. in and then uses that particle to rebuild the rest of the body at resurrection or something. It just sounds, that really does sound ad hoc to me. Or there's like a change of particles, almost like a teleporter in Star Trek. It's, it, I, yeah, it's, yeah, go ahead. yeah, exactly. Okay. I, that stuff made me more convinced of substance dualism because I thought if this is what you have to do to try to hold on to it, I don't want to sound too snarky. I, I just, it, it just, I don't. And plus, another problem for me, Chris, since we're just letting our hair down here, so sure. to speak. <laughs> well, at least one of us has some hair to let down. <laughs> yeah, is, is, is that f Christian physicalists already believe in other substances, like, 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 uh, even if it's not the same, spiritual substances that perhaps angels have or that God has. Yes. And things like we that. We are not metaphysical physicalists. We are yeah, anthropological so I, so physicalists. I, so, I, I mean, I get if you don't think the Bible teaches it, but from our previous conversations, um, I, I think that I think that you're 
I don't want to speak for you, but I, yeah, go ahead. I think you're exactly right. I think what you were probably about to say is that my only real conviction, or the only the only real reason why I seem to embrace physicalism is because I think that's what I see the scripture teaching, and I think that's largely true. I don't have any philosophical commitments that make me think physicalism is the better uh, option, with the possible exception of a very um, underdeveloped thought I have with regards to, ironically, moral accountability, because... Uh, and I don't want to go back and forth on this because I've hardly given it enough thought to be able to articulate sure. it in any fashion. I will sit here silently. Great. That's what I want you to do. But but at the very least, so uh, you remember, you know that famous story in psychology of the, um, the, the guy who had a train spike shot through his head? Um, there, it's it's a fam it's famous in psychology mm -hmm. and and uh, what it proves um, is it, what happened was this 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 guy who worked on train tracks he had a device that shoots uh, railroad spikes into the into the um, tiers or whatever they're called the the things that the rail rails are on and the the thing backfired or something and it shot a railroad spike not into the ground but up through his head <laughs> and he survived it and didn't even really have any lasting um physical problems or anything but the strange thing is his whole personality had changed he was radically different in, in his personality his, his thoughts his feelings and things like that yeah. and and that's just one of the oldest of numerous um experiments and observations phineas gage thank you susan you Susan is like on every single YouTube channel I seem to go to, and she's always on top of this kind of stuff. Thank you for I that, love Susan. Her. I love she's her. She's awesome. She, yeah, she's the bouncer for all the apologetics channels. She's the bouncer for Rethinking <laughs> Hell Live as well. And by the way, to answer a question uh, Brandon asked about Rethinking Hell Live episodes on the audio podcast, we, we have a separate audio podcast feed at Rethinking Hell for the Rethinking Hell Live episodes. So, um, Brandon, if you're not familiar with that go onto facebook and go to the facebook the rethinking hell facebook discussion group and ask about it and um our our tech guy can give you the link to that podcast anyway um where was i going with this um oh yeah yeah so what that seems to prove and, and many experiments since have seemed to prove is that um the, the uh, changes to the brain directly affect changes to the mind now that does not mean that the mind is identical to the brain. I don't go that far. I think that would be a logical leap that's unjustified. But what it does seem to prove is that there is a link between the two and changes to the brain can um, uh, uh, immutably affect changes to the mind. So, so let's say that you've got a soul that is inhabiting or, or whatever language we might want to use to, to describe its union with the body. Right, and the soul is pure consciousness. It's the seat of consciousness. It's it's the thoughts, the feelings, everything that that the person is uh, in terms of thought and experience and identity and quality and all that stuff. You've got that soul, and it is the seat of consciousness, the source from which all of the choices that the embodied soul um, carries out. If that's the case, and you have, let's say, you've got a Christian, let's say. Um, and, and here I'm, I want to set aside the debate over once saved, always saved and stuff like that. Let's say for the sake of our, just put all that aside and just say that you've got a Christian who's, um, who has a railroad spike shot through his brain. And one of the effects of that physical damage to the brain is that that person no longer identifies as a Christian. Now you could not, it seems to me, easily chalk that up 
to a libertarian free choice made by the soul or even a compatibilistically free choice of the soul. Because if you're going to hold that soul responsible for the, the lost faith um, or, or sins that are committed by the, the person that are a direct result of the damage that's done to that brain, then there seems to be something profoundly unjust about holding that soul responsible when the soul is, is, is so limited by the damage that's been done to the brain. It's really not the soul. It's not really the fault of the person making the choices. It's simply a chain of dominoes affected by the damage done to the brain. That's why, that's literally the only philosophical concern I have with substance dualism is that I can't explain that. Whereas if human beings, if our identity, if our mind subsists in our body, right, rather than in the soul, then for damage to be done by the to the brain such that the mind changes, that is the person's mind changing. Although, granted, it is... Um, changed by external stimulus, namely the damage done to the brain. But you, but at least you don't have an innocent soul whose choices are interfered with by the damaged hardware of the brain. Um, I want to give you, I, I, I said, you said you'd be silent, but I do at least want you to give me some feedback on um, if you have any thoughts at all on what I just articulated. <clears throat> if you well, think that, I, yeah. So I, I do have thoughts and, and, for just for brevity's sake, I'll just say that I dealt with this very issue. I can't remember if it was. I think in the case I'm thinking of is the one that Sam Harris brings up in his book. Um, and I know we're talking about Christian stuff here and not um, atheist stuff, but he brings up the issue of someone who has a tumor and they uh, can't remember if it was they started molesting children or or just became violent or whatever. But when the tumor was removed, it, that, that behavior was gone. And so it was a similar sort of a situation, but we actually got to see the other side of it too when it was removed and what that did. And um, I dealt with all that in an episode uh, from about two years ago, now almost two years, uh, where I responded to Matt Dillahunty, Rationality Rules, and uh, Cosmic Skeptic when they were all together. It's a really terrible thumbnail. You can find it really easily. I'm sitting there drinking a cup of coffee, and the three guys are on the other side. It was when I was trying to figure out how to do thumbnails. But anyway, <clears throat> just go there to check that out. But I would have... Uh, so... so it would be a bigger discussion, but there's two things that I'll just throw out there just real quick. One is, um, I don't think of the, 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 the mind or the consciousness, let's say, of the soul as being affected by the brain. I think of the brain more as a, a hardware apparatus like, and obviously there's an interconnection and interplay. Everybody believes that to some degree, but, um, uh, that believes in the soul, but, um, <laughs> so you, so you have, um, it's, it's more like a radio, an AM FM radio, that gets damaged, and so the signal coming in from the station um, is distorted as it's coming out, or comes out completely wrong, or in different notes, or whatever. That's an imperfect analogy, and I think that the kickback would be, yeah, but are you saying that there's a conscious soul somewhere that is still wanting to make the right decision, but is helpless as the brain makes the wrong decision, or something like that? That would be a bigger discussion, but that's the only corrective is that I would say, I don't think that the brain affects the soul so much as the the display of the soul through broken hardware is is simply not coming through the right way the second thing before you comment on that and i'll let you have the last word because that's a whole big thing um the second thing is and you're not going to like this so I, I haven't i hope you don't see this as me throwing a punch this is just really what i think is if a person sees that as um not something that like a, and I agree um, that a person with a spike through their brain who has a different personality than they had before or a tumor 
is not morally responsible in the same way that they were before that happened, um, then I would say that's because the brain, uh, the tumor and the spike is somehow deterministically affecting that person's um, activities and behavior. And I would just say step back three layers and you've got the story creator analogy where everything the person does, spike or no spike, is being determined by the creator. I'll give you, it's not through the causal determinism in the sense that you want to be clear about that difference, but it's still there. And so I still think we run into the same problems. And so I say, if a person has a problem with judging the person morally with a spike in their head, they should have a similar reaction to determinism qua determinism. Sure. And, and as you will no doubt fail to, to find surprising <laughs> I don't agree um, but that's fine I so, fail to find that's fine. fail to find yeah anyway I don't even know why I worded it that way um, so but now going back to the issue of identity um, here's so, so all, all of that was just to say that is the only philosophical concern I have and I actually agree with you and was try and I tried to be careful although I'm sure I didn't entirely succeed to say that it's not that the changes to the brain affect the soul it's that the changes to the brain limit the soul uh, the soul's ability to express itself and that's exactly the concern I'm trying to latch onto here is how is it just that the soul is unable by virtue of being limited by the brain that it is operating through to do what it would ordinarily want to do. But anyway, that's, that's other well, than I, that. I don't know that we know how God would judge a person with a spike in their head that way. Agreed. But we also don't know how that God would judge uh, somebody whose actions he determined as provided he didn't determine them caus causally. That aside, going back <laughs> to the issue of identity, the reason, the whole reason I brought this up is because I actually don't share the intuition of a lot of people that that ship Theseus fails to be the same ship it was when Theseus first built it. I, I, it seems to me that it is the same ship for one reason and one reason alone. The, the, the identity of the ship subsists in the, uh, the, the mind of its designer. If, if, if uh, the creator of a ship... Um, let's say, or, or let's say, let's say I build a house one day. My wife and I finally get to build, you know, to own a house, not a cheap little mobile home that like we did for a few years, but we, we suddenly fall into a lot of money and we build a house and that is the house that we designed, we built, and we're super happy about it and we love it. And then over the course of 10 years, let's say that while we're living there, over the course of those 10 years, every single part of that house ends up being replaced over the course of home repair and stuff like that. I would still call that my house, not just because I'm still living in a building where the previous building stood, but because the identity of the house, in my mind, doesn't subsist in its parts. It subsists in the mind of me and my wife who designed and built the house and have been living there ever since. So what I suggested in the video, as you'll recall, is that the problem of identity might be solved if we think that identity, personal identity of a human being subsists not in any part of the human, but in the mind of its creator. Um, if that's the case, then there's no, it seems to me as if the, the author of the story is perfectly capable of making sure that the character that gets raised later in the story is the same character who had died previously, even if there's nothing in the timeline that, that, that connects the character when he dies uh, to the character when he rises. Um, and I would actually argue that this might solve the problem even better than substance dualism, because in substance dualism, I mean, many of our confessions and creeds uh, historically have said that the body with which we Christians rise 
is the self-same body. That word self-same is the very word used in those confessions and creeds. The self-same body with which we had died. But how can that be true when the body that died, even if you've got a soul that still exists between death and resurrection, the body has died and is rotted away. And so even if God recreates that body, your intuition, it seems to me, would, would require that we say that's not actually the same body. It's well, a now hold body. on. Now, hold on a second. Sure. I'm, I don't, I'm not basing this on intuition. I'm, I'm saying... Okay, your logic. Yeah. All right. So if we follow your logic to its log to what I think and, and, I'm, and I'm positing is its logical conclusion, is that you would have to say the resurrection body of a Christian isn't actually the body in which they died. It's not their body. It's or it's it. No, they, I don't they, think I don't think that's their, right. Huh? I, I disagree. OK, tell me why. I try never to say I disagree because it sounds discourteous. It doesn't. But I, I love do. it. I love it. Um, well, because I think there's other ways of conceptualizing that. We understand that the crafters of the creed didn't understand anything about genetics and DNA and all that sort of thing. I think it's perfectly feasible, just like we look at certain things in Scripture that we understand the people at the time didn't understand um, the scientific realities that surround what they're talking about. It doesn't mean that what they're saying it didn't happen exactly that way, but it's just not the detail that we would like. I think in the same way one could say... No, that is the body. I mean, the body that I have right now isn't the self-same body in a certain sense that it was 10 years ago. So what's the same? Well, one thing that's the same is the DNA. I don't see a problem with God giving me this, putting my soul in a body with similar DNA. Yeah, but your DNA is only the blueprint for your body. It's not actually your yeah. body, right? Yeah, sure. So, and, and we can put the creeds and confessions aside and just use the language of 1 Corinthians 15, right? Paul says the body that dies is the body that rises. Which one? Now, the one from this decade one? or last decade or the one before that? I'm not talking about the bodies changing over time. I'm talking about death and resurrection. Yeah, I know, but I'm saying, like, you, you agree that you don't have the same physical body, more or less. <laughs> yes, I, yeah, I hear what you're saying, exactly. You're, you're just helping my case. Because okay. for, for in some way, shape, or form... Paul must be legitimately able to, to say that the body that dies is the body that rises, even if it's not made up of all the same parts. Yeah, right? yeah, I agree with that. So what I want to know is, in what way can you uh, justify that language in a way that doesn't equally apply to the body on physicalism? It, it can. The problem is not that it's the same physical body in some sense, the problem is that you don't have the same conscious experiencer. Okay, because but, of the continuity of identity problem. But isn't when you say the same conscious ex experiencer, it, it still sounds to me like you're talking about identity. Yes. Okay. So when Paul says the body that dies is the body that rises, isn't he using the language of identity? No, I don't no, think so. No, is isn't uh, the language of identity? Do I uh, say that again? I'm sorry. The word is the body that dies is the body that rises. The body the that body is sown is, is the body that rises. I, it, what, what I take him to be saying is this is this is the same person that died. But he's and, talking. He's talking. He's not talking about the person. He's talking about the body. Well, you just asked me and seemed to insist that it had to do with identity, right? Yeah, identity obviously can be applied to more than just persons, right? If if I right. So so either way you want to go. I think that substance dualism is covered. So if it's the same physical body by which we mean God recreated something and called it self-same, 
even if it's not the same physical material, right? Isn't that what you're saying? Yes, I'm saying that however you might try to explain, however you might try to justify calling the resurrection body the same body that as the one that died, mm-hmm. um, would not would automatically open up the 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 um, the possibility that there's a similar way of accounting for how the whole person, the identity of the person, um, can persist through past death and into resurrection without requiring substance dualism. Okay. So, so this is what I'm saying. So I'm not arguing anything about the body. I'm arguing about the identity. I see a problem with the continuity of identity. So what you're saying, you agree with me, I think that the body that, that is raised, so to speak, is not the same physical matter that died, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I agree with you on that. Right. Um, but you still but, think so, that there's a legitimate sense in which you can call that the body that died? Sure. Okay. So You're saying that same thing should apply to the soul or no, to no, the no. identity. No, no, no. It's the other way around. I'm saying that if you can be a substance dualist and maintain that there's some sense in which the resurrection body is in fact the body that died even though it's all new matter mm-hmm. that is a problem of identity just if, if you just set the soul aside see i here, maybe here's the problem maybe we're 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 unintentionally equivocating on the word identity i'm not talking yeah. when i use the word identity i'm using it in the generic sense that look if i hold up this pen and then take it out of the frame and then bring it back into frame the, the it's the same pen Right. I haven't swapped it out with another pen. And as far as I can tell, as far as you can tell. Right. So I'm talking about identity in this sense, the sense that this pen is the same pen that I bring back into frame after taking it out of frame. And I'm I'm saying that that problem exists for the body, even in substance dualism, that if you want to say that the body that rises is the body that died, despite being made up of all new material, then then there must be some sense in which the identity of that body subsists in um does not subsist in something that continues between death and resurrection why not that's the solution in in my mind of how that's the self-same no because look if i if i get out of one car and then get into another that's not the same car right yeah but you and i are both agreeing that'd be like you and i both agreeing that we've got a different car made of similar materials but not the exact same materials you're agreeing with me that the raised body is not made of the same physical material as the original body right right so so what i'm saying is in my analogy of the car the driver Mm -hmm. is analogous to the soul and the car is analogous to the body yes so if so what you said is substance dualism is what enables you to say that the body that rises is the body that dies, then Mm -hmm. all you're talking about is something analogous to me getting out of a car and getting into another one and saying that I'm now in the same car that I was just in. Okay. Well, first of all, again, I understand what you mean by the players in the analogy, but what I'm saying is you already agree with me that the new body is a different car in a sense, because it's the diff it's, 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 it's different material. It's not the same physical matter, right? That's just it, though. I'm not agreeing with you that that's not the same car, or that they're not the same resurrection body. Even though it's made up of all the same, all different parts. That's what um, I'm saying. Right, but but then that but substance dualism doesn't solve the problem of identity Here's for the how resurrection it body. It. Here's how it solves it. Okay. If if you're in this car, right, one mm-hmm. car, and that car gets totaled Mm -hmm. but but you get out of the car Mm -hmm. and go somewhere else Mm -hmm. 
And then later, someone recreates that car out of different material, but in every way, it's the same car, right? But it's different material. And you get back in that car, mm -hmm. the thing that's the same is what we could say about the car before it got totaled is that's Chris's car. What we can say about the new car is Hold that's on. Chris's car. But that's not the identity of the car. That's the relationship between me and the car. Right? Well, you already agree with me that the body is made out of different material, though. Well, let's get to the body in a second. In, in the car, okay. this is awesome. Listeners are probably loving that we're finally getting into a little bit of an argument. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, go with the, what you just said with the car analogy. You could obviously say that the, the car into which I now get that is identical in every way except it's made up of d different materials, different matter than my previously my previous car that is now totaled and gone, we could definitely say that's my car. But we couldn't say it's the car I was in last time. Right. We well now that's true. Okay. But what we okay. Go ahead. So could you say? W would you be comfortable saying, the car I'm entering a few years later, is the car I crashed? Say that again. Let's say that I crashed the car in 2012, and I enter in the replacement car in 2014. Would you feel comfortable saying the car I'm getting into in 2014 is the car I crashed in 2012? In a manner of speaking. <laughs> See, this is just it. it yeah. From you're, a you're... certain point of view. Huh? From a certain point of view. Right, exactly. That's Obi-Wan well, reference. <laughs> yes, well, all Star Wars nerds, it seems to me, hate that part of... Uh, the, the Star Wars story because yeah. obviously it's not um, his father isn't really dead but anyway um, but no this this is my point is that it seems to me as if there's a profound and important sense in which the body that rises is the body that died even in some what is that sense? that that uh, well I think it's in the sense that identity again in the generic sense any any object being the same object that we talked about a moment before identity i think subsists in uh outside of the thing itself so in the case of ship theseus i think the identity of the ship isn't wrapped up in the ship it's wrapped up in the designer of the ship in the case of um in in your analogy or in substance dualism one could argue or or, or let's take the the analogy of the car you might say the sense in which the car I get into in 2014 is the same car I got into in 2012 is in the sense that I'm the one that drove it in 2012, crashed yes. it. Right. But You're that the just... conscious experiencer, I, uh, uh, that is to say the soul. But but you're still saying that the identity of the thing, in this case the car, which which I'm offering as an analogy to the body, the identity of the thing does not subsist in itself. It subsists in something else. Namely, in your case, the soul. But Just I as your physical body is still your physical body, the self-same physical body, even though it's experienced almost cellular change all the way across. Exactly my point. And if we, if we can agree... It's not your point. But it is. If we can agree... Your that point the, is that God does that, and like that God... Your point... Okay, go ahead. My, my point isn't about who's doing what. My point is that in which identity subsists or is grounded is the one it, where the identity is in it's the it's that in which the identity is grounded or or, yeah. or 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 subsists so in the case of the to use your substance dualism approach the identity of the, the, that which continues the identity of your body that identity 
uh, the identity that is shared by both the body in which you die and the body with which you rise, the identity of that body subsists in the soul that inhabited, to use a poor term, the body in which you died and the body with which you rise. So the identity of the of one thing subsists in or is grounded in something else. Let me ask you this. Well, hold on. Let me just finish my thought. Okay. And so what I'm proposing is that in physicalism, to the the identity of the per, the physical being that dies is the same identity as with as the one who rises, despite there being no continuity there, because the identity it isn't grounded in itself. It's grounded in the author. That was the point I was getting at. Right. So and I. So with the story analogy, just to get that out of the way real quick, my criticism of that is, uh, no, I didn't mean that like it's not valuable. I know, it's I'm right. just saying to, to get that one out of the way because it's not really what I want to talk about as much. But um, if if someone wrote that story, I mean, you're a geek. You talk about movies and theories and all that sort of thing. Film theory is a thing on YouTube for a reason. So if if you wrote a story about a character and had him die and and whatever and then you had him us talking about him later or something and putting him there without any explanation we would still as film theory geeks be uh, say okay i'm accepting that this character here at the end who has the same name who's being described in, as the same as the protagonist is the same character because that's what i'm being told by the author and this is the world that this author is creating however i still want some explanation of how that happened because we may have a story with a plot hole in it and so I would want to know how that happened before. I mean, I would, I would want to know the explanation just as I'm asking you now. So here's my question for you. Okay. So take, take Washington, take the proverbial uh, ax that chopped down the cherry tree. I get what you're saying about the house, but I think this is a way to test it more at the fringes. If I said to you, this is the ax that, that Washington, we know the story, whether it happened or not, right? I'm saying this is the ax that George Washington used to, to, to chop down the cherry tree. Um, and the handle's been changed and the head has been changed. Only two parts to this thing. And I say to you, I say, this is still the ax that was used. Am I right or am I just wrong? Uh, that would depend on whether or not you, um, whether or not you were, aware that you had access you know cognitive access to the 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 state of that axe throughout its entire Let's existence right so so in the case of an author the author of the character is aware of the identity of the character even after it's gone and then he brings it back into the story well but, you know, but hold on stick with the axe sure. for a minute yeah is that the same axe if the Let's author say, okay. tells you that's the same axe but also tells you that the head and the handle have been changed is this author playing fast and loose, or is that the same axe? Right, right. No, I, I hear what you're saying. So let's say, hypothetically speaking, that Braxton Hunter was there when the axe was used by, allegedly, by George Washington to cut down the tree. And Braxton Hunter was, ever since then, um, privy to the state of the axe at any given moment. And so Braxton Hunter knows that the head of the axe was replaced n number of times, that the handle of the axe was replaced uh, o number of times. I should have used x and y. I don't know why I used n and o. Um, and, and, and so, yes, I would have no problem, provided I knew that that was the case, I would have no problem saying that's, accepting that that's the axe because you were there throughout its, uh, to, you were there to see its parts replaced. So its identity isn't grounded in itself. It's identified in the one or more persons who are aware, are, are aware of it. 
See, that, I mean, to me, that is, and I get this is just the point where we've reached the, we understand each other, we just disagree is where it's at. Yes, because exactly. Because I'm looking at that axe and I'm saying, that is not the same axe. Exactly. I, and that's the point where, uh, I think it was Norman Geisler who said, we had a nice chat about Norman Geisler yesterday. But, yeah, we did. Uh, the, the, where, I think that's the point where Norman Geisler said, um, in terms of making my case, I don't have to respond to what you just said. I just want to make sure everyone understands what you just said, because I think that that point that you're making right now, um, there are a number of people that are going to agree with you. There's a number of people that are going to agree with me. And I think that, that understanding that point will parse those people out pretty well one way or the other. Yep. I, I agree with you. I, I just wonder if, um, I, I guess I don't understand what, purchase what power the argument has from identity against physicalism if a substantial portion of people who just heard our discussion would agree with me that the axe is in fact the same axe and a number of others would not because but, i think that there are rational thinking people um who disagree i'm I, you know i'm just reading that's my point all, yeah yeah no i'm not saying you're an idiot because you don't see it my way i got you okay <laughs> I'm just, I think you're one of the smartest people I know. Uh, I, I'm just saying, to, this is one of those moments where it's like the blue dress and the gold dress, where I'm looking at it <laughs> and I'm like, how do you not see what I see right yeah. now? And you're looking back at me saying, how do you not see what I see right now? Well, well you know what it tells me, uh, or at least what I think it tells me, is that the question of identity is more complex than anybody tends to want to think about it. Um but you might disagree, and that's okay. I um, agree that this is a t yeah, because like I said before, people have tried to grapple with how identity works, and some skeptics would just say that I'm taking the easy way out by positing a soul, and some physicalists might think I'm taking an easy way out, Christian physicalists. So um, yeah, but I this is I'm glad we got to this just because I'm really passionate about this topic, hmm. and uh, we finally got to a point where we got to uh, fight a little bit. Yeah, in, yeah. A, in a fun and loving way. Yeah. Yeah. For, for like 50 minutes. And, and now I'll get to go fight with my wife because I went 50 minutes over I, my agreed upon time. I'm sorry. Um, I'm really no, it's not your fault. It's mine. Um, but I, I'm glad. I, th I think it's probably the most interesting 50 minutes of our show. It's the author. What's that? It's the author's fault. That's the author's fault. That's exactly right. One last question, though, about this identity issue. Back to the question of ship Theseus. Um, my understanding is that that's not at all like a settled dispute. It's not at all the case that the overwhelming majority of philosophers would say that that isn't the same ship or, or that it is. Y yes, you're right. You, you have a, a host of uh, philosophers and scholars that side with you on this issue. I just think they're, they're probably all just wrong. all atheists, unfortunately. <laughs> Well, yeah. there aren't a whole lot of, at least popularly, there aren't a lot of Christian physicalists. No, there's definitely not. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Well, like I said, I hold on to physicalism very loosely anyway, certainly not with any um, certainty. Uh, you know, th there were some other questions in the chat. Uh, do I think we'll have the same kind of flesh? I do think it'll be flesh, but it'll be glorified. It'll be immortal. Um, I think that was the only other question I saw. So I'm not going to go through the chat. Um, but... I do want to give you a chance, Braxton, to offer some uh, parting farewells, some thoughts or whatever to the viewers. Um, you know, I have 
the way I've typically ended my shows, either on The Apologetics or on Rethinking Hell, um, is by giving my guests an opportunity to share a parting message. Um, because after almost three hours of talking, a lot of what you and I have said is going to be forgotten by the people that are watching. But, um, uh, oh, by the way, Hyperion Berean, who is a Calvinist, by the way, says in the chat that um, he really appreciates your ministry, Braxton, on oh, apologetics, you. despite your theological differences. And I wholeheartedly I agree. Um, but uh, 